Brought to you by Feitner Productions. Our world is a tiny blue-green marble careening through an endless hostile void inhabited by speaking apes who call ourselves humanity. Our words, our laws, are mere ideas to shield us from utter chaos and despair. One man straddles the razor's edge between law and disorder. He's a lawyer who plays by his own set of rules, an infamous court jester of the courtroom. Beyond Unreasonable Doubt and Verboten Productions present Laying Down the Law with Billy DeClerc, your host. That's me. Okay, uh, well, welcome to Laying Down the Law. Um, I'm Billy DeClerc, and today's host is Jeffrey Feitner, yeah. host of, host of uh, For the Trees, former host of the retired podcast Round and Round. A right. producer of uh, Dispatches of Disassociation and Coyote's Bluff. Yeah. Uh, executive producer of Verboten Productions. He's also a Navy guy, um, not a SEAL, so don't ask him about Team 6. He wasn't on Team 6. But best of all, um, he's going to be the producer of this show. Uh, yeah. Starting with Season 2, we're expecting much higher quality than Season 1 as soon as we figure out how much to pay him. Hey, now. Hey, so welcome, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks. That was almost all correct. Although, when you say a retired podcast, that almost sounded like it was for old people. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's no, for I, everyone. I murdered that one. Yeah. Well, <laughs> that happens. That happens. At least it didn't fade away. Right. At least, I, at least that one went like more than a year. It didn't yeah. hit the seven, the, the dreaded seventh episode syndrome, like half fast the car podcast did. Uh, I believe, um, I believe laying down the law is at its seventh episode. <laughs> <laughs> so here we are. That's this, right. So here we- this is the seventh episode syndrome. Yeah. Um, so if you feel a rash or itching, you'll know why. Consult a doctor. That's right. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> well, there's nowhere to go but up from here, Jeff. Nowhere to go but up. That's right. Um, so, uh, so we're going to try something new for season two, and this is going to be interesting. Um, I'm going to try and make do on a promise from season one, um, which was edutainment. And that's a portmanteau of education and entertainment, meaning that we'll both be learning and hopefully, um, hopefully having a good time. So I'm gonna take, uh, take some cases out of my first year of law school and this is for um, you know, budding law students or, um, or for you know, really anyone who wants to get a free basic education in the law. And um, so I picked the very first case I read in law school for the very first episode of season two, so much better than season one. Um, are you ready for this, Jeff? I think I'm ready. All right. Well, I'm actually putting on glasses, which are, it's a new thing for me. 
and hopefully that'll make me read better. So this is a case called Hammontree versus Jenner. And it's from the Court of Appeal of California, 1971. Buckle up. <laughs> You're in for a ride. Plaintiffs Maxine Hammontree and her husband sued defendant for personal injuries and property damage arising out of an automobile accident. I told you to buckle up. The case was tried to a jury. Plaintiffs appeal from a judgment entered on a, ver a jury verdict entered against them and in favor of the defendant. The evidence shows that on the afternoon of April 25th, 1967, Defendant was driving his 1959 Chevrolet home from work. Now, at the same time, plaintiff Maxine Hammontree was working in a bicycle shop owned and operated by herself and her husband. Without warning, defendant's car crashed through the wall of the shop, struck Maxine, and caused personal injuries and damages to the shop. Now, defendant claimed he became unconscious because of an epileptic seizure losing control of his car. He did not recall the accident, but his last recollection before it was leaving a stoplight after his last stop. And his first recollection after the accident was being taken out of his car in plaintiff's shop. Defendants testify that he has a medical history of epilepsy and knows of no other reason for his loss of consciousness be except an Defendant testified he has a medical history of epilepsy and knows of no other reason for his loss of consciousness except an epileptic seizure. Prior to 1952, he'd been examined by several neurologists whose conclusion was that the condition could be controlled and who placed him on medication. In 1952, he suffered a seizure while fishing. Several days later, he went to Dr. Benson Hyatt, who diagnosed his condition as petite mal seizure and kept him on the same med medication. Thereafter, he saw Dr. Hyatt every six months and then on a yearly basis, several years prior to 1967. In 1953, he had another seizure and was told he was epileptic and continued his medication. In 1954, Dr. Kirshner prescribed Dilantin, and in 1955, Dr. Hyatt prescribed philantin from 1955 until the accident occurred, 1967, remember. Defendant had used philantin at a regular basis, which controlled his condition. Defendant has continued to take medication as prescribed by his physician and has done everything his doctors told him to do to avoid a seizure. He had no inkling and no warning he was about to have a seizure prior to the occurrence of the accident. Now, in 1955 or 1966, the Department of Motor Vehicles was advised that the defendant was an epileptic and placed him on probation under which every six months he had to report to the doctor who is to advise it in writing of the defendant's condition. In 1960, his probation was changed to a once a year report. Dr. Hyatt testified that during times he saw defendant, according to his history, defendant was, quote, doing normally, end quote, and that, he continued to take philantin and that, quote, the purpose of the philantin would be to react on the nervous system in such a way that where without the medication, I would say to raise the threshold so as not to be as subject to these episodes without the medication, so as not to have seizures. He would not be having the seizures with the medication as he would without the medication compared to taking medication. If you follow that. That's an awfully 
that's a that's a little cumbersome, but yeah, I think so. That I think the doctor was saying if he took his medicine, he would not have a seizure, but if he didn't take his medicine, he would. Right. That's how it yes. But he's a doctor in the 1960s, so he's got to justify, right? He's got to use many words. Many words to say simple things. Right. He was watching Marcus Welby at the time. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. In a seizure, it would be impossible for a person to drive and control an automobile. He believed it was safer for the defendant to drive. Now, the appellant's contention, these are the defendants who lost, the appellant's contention was that the trier court erred in refusing to grant their motion for summary judgment on the issue of liability and their motion for directed verdict on the pleadings and counselor's opening argument are answered by the disposition of their third claim that the trial court committed prejudicial error in refusing to give their jury instruction on absolute liability. There's a footnote here. Absolute liability is like strict liability, essentially, that uh, if you caused an accident, you're liable. Under the present state of the law found in appellate authorities begin with Waters versus Pacific Coast Dairy, where a driver was rendered unconscious from a sharp pain in his left arm and shoulder, and the case Ford against Carew in English, uh, where the driver had fainting spells from strained heart muscles, Zabinov versus Walker, a sudden sneeze, Tanny Hill against Pacific Motor Transportation Company, a heart attack. The trial court properly refused the instruction. The foregoing cases generally hold that the liability of a driver who is suddenly stricken by an illness rendering him unconscious for an injury resulting from an accident, accident occurring during that time rests on the principle of negligence. That is not strict liability. However, herein during the trial, plaintiffs withdrew their claim of negligence and after both parties rested and before jury argument, objected to giving any instructions on negligence, electing to stand solely on the theory of absolute liability. The objection was overruled. The trial court refused plaintiffs requested instructions after which plaintiffs waived both opening and closing arguments. Defendants argued the cause to a jury after which the judge read a series of negligence instruction and on his own motion, Badgy 4.02, which is res ipsa locutor. That's Latin for the thing speaks for itself. That's a different thing. The appellants seek to have this court override the established law of this state, which is dispositive of the issue before us as outmoded in today's social and economic structure particularly in light of the now recognized principles imposing liability on a manufacturer, a retailer, all distributive and vending elements and activities which bring a consumer, uh, activities which bring a product to the consumer to his injury on the basis of strict liability in tort. These authorities hold that a manufacturer or a retailer is strictly liable when he places an article into the market, knowing it is to be used without inspecting it for defects, proves to have a defect that causes injury. Drawing a parallel with these product liability cases, the appellants argue, with some degree of logic, that only the driver who's affected by a physical condition which could suddenly render him unconscious and who's aware of the condition 
can anticipate the hazards and foresee the dangers involved in the operation of a motor vehicle. And the liability of those who by reason of seizure or heart failure or some other physical condition, don't forget about the sudden sneeze, right? Right. Um, will lose the ability to safely operate and control a motor vehicle resulting in an injury to an innocent person. And so it should be predicated on strict liability. We, the court, decline to superimpose the absolute liability of products liability cases upon drivers under the circumstances here. The theory on which these cases are predica predicated is that manufacturers, retailers, and distributors of products are engaged in the business of distributing goods to the public and are an integral part of the overall producing and marketing enterprise and should bear the cost of injuries from defective parts. This policy hardly applies here and is not enough to simply say, as do appellants, that the insurance carriers should be the one to bear the cost of injuries to innocent victims on a strict liability basis. In Maloney against Rath and Clark uh, against Dizabas, the appellant urged that the defendant's violation of a safety provision, defective brakes of the vehicle code, makes the violator strictly liable for damages caused by the violation. When reversing the judgment for the defendant on another ground, the California Supreme Court refused to apply the doctrine of strict liability to automobile drivers. The situation involved two users of the highway but the problems of fixing responsibility under a system of strict liability are as complicated in this case as those as Merloni versus Rath and could only create uncertainty in the area of its concern. As stated in Maloney, to invoke a rule of strict liability on users of the streets and highways, however, without also establishing in substantial detail how the new rule should operate would only contribute confusion to the automobile accident problem. Settlement and claims adjustment procedures would become chaotic until the new rules were worked out on a case-by-case -case basis and the hardships of delayed compensation would be seriously intensified. Only the legislature, if it deems it wise to do so, can avoid such difficulties by enacting a comprehensive plan for the compensation of automobile accident victims in place of or in addition to the law of negligence. The instruction tendered by appellants was properly refused for still another reason. Even assuming the merit of appellants, appellants' position under the facts of this case, in which defendant knew he had a history of epilepsy, previously had suffered seizures, and at the time of the accident was attempting to control the situation by medication, the, instructor, the instruction does not exempt from its ambit the driver who's suddenly stricken by an illness or a physical condition which he had no reason whatever to anticipate and of which he had no prior knowledge. The judgment is affirmed. That's the case. So these motherfuckers, they took this dude to court because they got hurt when he had an epileptic seizure and crashed into his building or their building. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And then that initial jury trial? They found lost... They lost, right? It was the epileptic driver guy who won. And he was like, oh, thank Jesus. These people make sense. They're not. <laughs> so they appeal this thing. And the California appeals court was like, you can't blame him. Like you're going to blame Ford for break making bad cars. Right. 
That's exactly right. Yeah. Okay. So basically where they fucked up, they should have tried to sue the creator. <laughs> yeah, that would have worked. Excuse me, uh, God. Yeah. What do you want? Uh, so um, you've just been served this summons and complaint, God. Uh, I'm sorry. What? Well, apparently, um, uh, this Maxine Hammontree was injured in 1967. She's been in purgatory for, for what, 50 years now. And she says it's your fault. Well, I mean, you know, if you think about it in a like philosophical way, of course it's my fault. I'm God. Well, yeah. Well, she's saying that, you know, this, this Hammontree guy, you know, wouldn't have injured her, uh, and killed her if he didn't have epilepsy right and lose control of his car so basically she's saying it's your fault and she wants some money how was i supposed to know that he was going to have a seizure on that day look i just build them and set them out and let them do their own things i really think maybe maybe you need to consult a lawyer too bad there aren't any here <laughs> we we cut to hell yeah, right. We cut to hell. <clears throat> um, um, excuse me, Lucifer. Yeah, what y'all want? Excuse me, Lucifer. Um, uh, so you know the big guy, right? Uh huh. Well, he sent me. Uh, you know me, uh, uh Michael, the the archangel, right? He sent me down to you. Uh, apparently he's been sued, and there aren't any lawyers in heaven. He's just wondering <laughs> if he could borrow one of yours. <laughs> that son bitch finally got sued. <laughs> Fuck him. Would you like me to take that back to the big guy? You can quote me verbatim. <laughs> <laughs> this will go a lot better when you actually have like this is, people. <laughs> this is going great. What are you talking about? <laughs> this is the sketch comedy we all dreamed to hear. <laughs> we cut back to heaven. <laughs> Uh, uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> um uh yeah so uh uh god yeah um so i i checked it out with lucifer uh -huh. how's he doing by the way uh he seems good he seems good very tan <laughs> uh he 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 sends his regards uh he doesn't he told me he doesn't have any all, all of his lawyers right now are are really busy in the coal mines and um he, he doesn't he can't spare any right now i don't really believe you what did he say what did he say exactly tell me word for word he, he said he thought you might have a notary you could ask a notary what does that even mean tell me what he actually said uh well okay god but promise not to smite me okay he told you to go fuck yourself there's going to be a lightning strike over. <laughs> or, 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 or. <laughs> I mean, here's the problem. Like, if you want to get really philosophical for a second, like, you can't really tell God to go fuck himself because God is everything and everywhere, right? right. So right. it's kind of like a, what is that, a solipsism? Yes. I, I think, think that's a solipsism. But at the same time, like, 
if you if if you have that belief right where god is everything and everyone and all the and every time right he's a crazy man in a fucking loony bin talking to himself with that's right right that's bad too it's a good thing i'm not extremely practicing because i'd be going to hell now well you know to me it's sort of like i feel like god could rise above it you know he's i, mean, I don't think he's quite that you know, he's quite that fragile no, you don't think he's that sensitive? He, she, it, all of it? Yeah, I don't think God is like... Just like you're picking on me. Like, <laughs> he's like, I'm triggered by all these microaggressions. Like, <laughs> God's kind of like, oh, I'm over it. I'm over it. You, do, you guys do realize we've been doing this for like 11,000 years, right? Yeah. Like, I've heard it all before. <laughs> Fucking Mayans were all like, oh, look at you, God. I was all like... <laughs> and, and you know what happened to Atlanteans? Oh yeah, uh, is that what you call people from Atlantis? I believe so. Yeah, Atlanteans. Yeah, I mean, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, that really wouldn't play well. Uh, yeah. <laughs> What? Bringing it back around, yeah? It's the lesson now. Like The lesson, you- the learn, lesson learned. It's just the idea like that um, we want in a legal system, negligence means that you have to have some control of your own choices. And it's about uh, personal responsibility, really. Uh, the disclaimer that probably should have happened a long time ago is I'm no lawyologist and I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. Um, I would assume that that extends to the idea of like shared culpability where if there's an accident and they try to determine like who's at fault or whatever, and it ends up being something where it was kind of a little bit, both of y'all's fault. So like damages can be awarded from one, one direction, but then awarded to the other direction. So then it ends up being some kind of like $11 difference or something. Right. Exactly. Yeah. If there's, you know, multiple causes, that kind of thing. There's a case, um, there's a case called Summers versus Tice where, uh, you know, you've got um, these hunters, right? And, um, and there's a, there's a third hunt, there's two hunters and a third hunter The the third hunter gets shot. That's Summers. And, uh, and he sues Tice and the other guy and says, well, I don't know which of y'all, uh, shot me, but there were two gunshots at the same time and I got hit by one bullet. So all y'all figure it out. And so the, that's uh, where the idea of the burden shifting is joint and several liability that the, the, the defendant's. The court says, well, we don't know either. You guys figured out. It's one of you. You both were negligent. So work it out. Isn't it normally the, the accuser that is burdened with proof? Normally the plaintiff, yeah. So in that instance, though, it's on the defendants to determine who, who was liable to then... To then well, like one of you or both of you, but we don't know who. So y'all figure- so you're, you're both responsible and you guys blame each other. Is that how it, so is there a mechanism like in, in that exact kind of case, right? If you have A and B defendants, if they can't decide, is there a mechanism where the court goes, fine, you're both liable. Right. And does a, like a joint. Joint and several liability. So it huh. means, it means you, you, joint and several liability means, um, you know, if you and I both go and, uh, you know, 
hit Dan Felton with a baseball bat at the same time when he sues us. And he's like, I'm not sure which of you broke my clavicle and which of you broke my pelvis. We'd be jointly and severally liable for his injuries. <laughs> oh, poor Dan. <laughs> Those are some really long bats. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, so uh, so so Jeff, I'm going to ask you uh, uh, a question. So so, what is one hope or dream of yours? One hope or dream of mine. Mm-hmm. I want to be in a position so that I can hide myself. There it is. Um, no, um, I want to uh, be past COVID and has a necessary income so that I can just drive around the country for a while. Where would you drive first? Uh, probably back through Moab, Zion, the other park up there that we missed. Cathedrals, I think it is, something like that. Um, just generally northeast-ish for a while. Everywhere. I have no... There are so many places um, that I, I still want to go to, like over here on the West Coast. We've only been here like seven years, so there's a lot of places to get to. I just want to be able to to go. Yeah, it's a lot. It's like leftover wanderlust, man, from the Navy times, sort of. Does 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 the wanderlust ever really go away? I don't think it really goes away. You know, I I know some people who have gone back home to like Kentucky or whatever and stayed have stayed there ever since. So I think it's really more about where you started, maybe, you know, how you were, maybe, maybe it's all rooted in your, your person or whatever. But at the same time, that fellow was a very, he was a wandering soul. And then he wasn't he just put his boots on the ground and he was done. Uh-huh. So I don't know. I just know, like I had this internal clock where um like when you're in the navy when you're on a ship um particularly on a ship uh there are periods of time where you're underway like you, you're not on a ship like 24 7 for four years or whatever like you're in port you're out of port there are periods of time through a training cycle where you um you're underway more you start adapting to that underway like clock which is sleep for a short period of time wake up and do work sleep for a short period of time, wake up and do work, repeat ad infinite, right? So when you get used to that, when, when you adapt to that kind of short cycling day where it's really like an 18 hour day or a 20 hour day, um, you do that for three, three or four weeks or you do that for a couple of months at a time. Then you come home, you kind of unwind from all that. Then you're doing like normal import routine for a while, for a couple of months or whatever. And you get used to a normal, relatively normal eight hour day, five days a week. And then you kind of cycle back into the, the short cycle kind of days. And then you get all used to that. And then you can, you're complete, you're constantly contracting and expanding what time means. And if you do that long enough, I really believe that like that's ingrained in my body now. And here I am, I am f- almost four years Actually, no, I stand corrected. I am more than four years to the day since the last day I wore a uniform. And 
I find myself still in this period of time where like my body says I should be on a ship. Like my sleep starts getting really, really weird. I haven't slept right in the last three or four weeks, maybe again, because I, I believe it's because I'm on this shipboard clock still. Like I should be in the middle of the fucking Atlantic on my way to somewhere cool, like Haifa or Ukraine or wherever. Uh-huh. But anyway. What, what did you do in the Navy? Uh, I am an electronics technician. So in 1993, I went to boot camp. And then in 94, I went to Great Lakes and spent almost a year there to learn how to be a electronic mechanic for shipboard radios, radars, navigation systems. You know, oh, I could that's cool. Man, but on older shit. <laughs> <laughs> that's cool. Yeah. All right. Next question. Uh-huh. All right. What's a favorite memory of yours? You can include in that a memory of me. I'm just I kidding. Could, no, I'm just I kidding. Wouldn't. No. Uh probably. Uh let's see. Normally, normally things like that are triggered by other people's stories and then all right, I'll tell you a story while you think on that. I'm going to tell you, because my grandfather was in the Navy. Uh-huh. And uh, he spent a fair amount of time in something called the brig. Cool. Yeah. But apparently during World War II, this is World War II, he was on the USS Coral Sea. Uh-huh. And uh, he, uh, they, they docked in San Francisco, and he didn't make it back in time. He was visiting my grandmother, is the story. Um, I, I think he, no, I have it wrong. I have it wrong. They were coming down like West coast of the United States and it might've been in Seattle or Portland and he didn't make it back in time. So then when he came to San Francisco, he wasn't able to see my grandmother or his parents because he was in the brig. Cause he was in trouble. Yeah. My grandfather spent a lot of time getting into trouble. <laughs> Hence your journey to law. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I had one of the most cliche arrivals, like reporting to the ship for the first time. Um, I checked in on a Friday and the following Tuesday, we were getting underway to go to Boston for the first port visit, which was interesting. This is like 1995. Um, it's peacetime. So Peacetime sailing back then and on the East Coast meant we were going to go to places and pull into those places and then throw around a lot of capitalist uh, grease, you know, dollar monies and show goodwill, right? We're going to go buy a lot of trinkets from weird little bazaars and weird little little markets or whatever. And then we were going to gather all that stuff up and then go home eventually. That's That's what it was to be in the Navy in the late 90s before all the shit happened. Uh, so anyway, first port visit, Boston. I don't have a clue what the fuck I'm doing because I haven't, it, it wasn't like my planned trip, right? Like I'm a, when it comes to travel, I'm a planny kind of person. And now here I am. I don't know even how to get from my, my rack to where I'm supposed to eat to where I'm supposed to work. I'm still learning all those routes and we're going to go to Boston and it takes like four or five days to get up there. 
and there's whales jumping in the wake and all that shit. And it was the coolest thing in the world. We pull into Boston and it's fucking hemp fest in the commons. <laughs> Funny story about the Navy. I don't know if you realize this or not, but you're not allowed to partake of herbal supplements of the hemp cannabis THC variety, right? Um, so that was kind of awkward and weird. Um, and it was, it was cool because there I am being, being that new sailor guy, right? Um, Boston was, was cool for that because it was, it was right away. Like I didn't have to wait. I didn't do any of the bullshit work or anything. It was basically, we got underway and I was doing paperwork for the number of days it took to get up there. And we pulled in and it was super fun time for an extra like four or five day weekend worth of fun. Except we weren't supposed to hang around all the pot smokers celebrating in the park, which is kind of impossible to do. Cause I don't know if you know this, but smoke doesn't obey fences. <laughs> uh, but probably if if you were to qualify your question your your initial question my favorite memory from the navy would probably be the first night underway when i went outside we were far enough off the coast it was a clear night the weather was super calm so you could actually like just stand there because if, if you, you're not supposed to go topside at, at dark because, you know, you can fall in the water and die. Um, so you take it, you take your own little risk here and there to go catch a cigarette after dark or whatever. I'm a smoker. It's what I do. So it's what I did. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> so we go topside. My, my buddy, Sean Finnerty says, you got to see this. Come on. And we go out and he's like, all right, all right, all right. Now relax for a minute. Don't let your cigarette and nothing. Just look up and you look up and you see the, the, the Milky Way thing. It's like the big sky Montana kind of thing. Or if you go hiking up in the mountains, you get that sense of scale, right? Yeah. Yeah. Got nothing on it. Got nothing on doing the same thing in the middle of the ocean, man. On a clear wow. night, it's a yeah. whole different level because it's horizon to horizon. It's all around you. You know, even if you're on the highest mountain, you still see other stuff on the land, right? Like you right. see stuff. If it's the middle of the night in the middle of the ocean, there's nothing. Nothing. And that was the coolest thing, probably. That was the thing that like I could I could kind of dig being out here on this shippy thing for a while. I that mean, sounds amazing. Yeah, and then there's the long list of port visits, but for reasons that should probably never be. I don't know. Odessa, Ukraine holds a special place in the heart because it's cool. At least it used to be. I don't know what the fuck they're doing now. Ah, uh, but anyway, what's next? That was cool. All right. Uh, so here's a softball. Mm. Okay. If you were asked to give a TED talk, what's your idea worth spreading? <laughs> 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 um softball. No, no, that's not. You know, I like to pretend to here's the thing. I have ideas, right? I have a lot of ideas about a lot of things. And and I feel like given given a slightly different upbringing or perhaps some heavy venture capitals, capital capital venture capitalists. 
angel investors, whatever the fuck, given some kind of different backing, I could probably be a fairly effective cult leader. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Because I don't have that back or background, right? What I have are just a bunch of unfounded ideas with no credibility whatsoever. Um, So, and and I'm, I'm self-aware enough that I wouldn't ever suggest that I should be teaching anyone or trying to tell anyone anything. Um, (laughs) But I like, I have, I have these ideas about people sometimes and I feel like it's super accurate and I would love to express that. Right. But as far as a Ted talk, man, it's, I don't know. I, I almost like, I don't fucking know. That's that's insane. What are what are what are one of those ideas about people that you have? I think about this all the time. Um, this duality that we have—that we are like just big meat bags, right? Yep. I mean, basically, we're, we're we're like these things, and we 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 bleed, and we you know we go to the bathroom, and we. We do all these things that we look just like, you know, our dogs that we love, or we look just like a, you know, a tree or whatever, we're these material things. But then like walking around, like, I feel like all the time, like there's a part of me that got put in backwards. Like, like, I'm like, something's not right here. Something's not right here all the time. <laughs> and it's because there's this other part of us that we can't see. And like, it's that I think of it about as this mind body duality. Right. And, and I think, so, so like, there's a part of us, it's like, I don't belong here. I'm something else at the same time. It's like the whole thing we have about, um, you know, death or an afterlife, or even the idea of, of oneness, that there's not really a difference between you and me and the, the table that's in front of me. We're all the same stuff. You know, I'm a little bubble up of one part of the stuff and you're another bubble up of one part of the soup. If we're soup, you know, maybe I'm the, the celery and you're the carrots but we're all the soup, right? And, and, and then there's like this other thing that you're talking about that's like a layer in between those two things in the sense that we have the, this, this constant grinding within us of like, I'm just an animal. I just want to make more animals that look like me. Like, I just, all I want to do is make sure that this animal gets enough of everything this animal needs and make sure there are other animals who look like me in the future. Like that's like yeah. that, that, that basic thing you're talking about. And then there's this other thing that's like constantly nagging. us, like, why am I here? Yeah. And the answer, like, I'm just an animal isn't satisfying. <laughs> but right. Like that's just not, that's a, not a satisfying answer. Cause I otherwise mean, why do a fucking podcast? Who cares? Right. right. We should be eating. Right. We should be eating ice cream. Right. Why, why, do, why go to work? Right. Because why do anything. Because the answer, like, and this gets, this carries you straight into awkwardly discussed politics because the answer to why we are here is to be a productive member of society. And that term only exists in, in like a consumerist capitalism society, right? Like, like it should be, there are still societies on this planet where it's okay to have a farm to grow enough for you and yours and to be completely self-proficient, right? Or self-sufficient. Yeah. Like, wake up, go tend your thing, go milk a cow, head back to the house, cook it up, go to bed, repeat. 
to maintain an existence is enough for some people on this planet. And what happens if that kind of culture happens to be on top of land that happens to contain something cool like cobalt or nickel or fucking gold or oil to put a finer point on it, right? Like those people get displaced because, hey, (laughs) we need that stuff. And obviously you're not doing shit around here. Matter of fact, how about we push you way over there and then you can come back and mine these things and earn money dollars to then be a productive part of society when they were perfectly productive and, and at 100% peak efficiency, right? Like the the idea that you only work enough. And and I I take a lot of this from other podcasts. Like I'm not a totally original, but the idea to work enough to provide and no more, that's, that is also to me, the human animal at its core. Right, like you don't see dogs running around and pushing a fucking grocery cart or a lawnmower. Why? Because they get what they need. Even feral dogs aren't in a fucking in a factory pushing ten for twelve hours. No, because they go hunt and get what they need. They go take a nap, and they get up and go get some water. They do a little poo poo, then they go take a nap. (laughs) That's how animals exist, and that's how. The human animal is built. We're lazy, right? Like the whole idea of invention, the whole idea of all this fucking technology is to be lazy. And, and, and you, you'll hear like this whole notion of, well, if we get robots and AI, then what do the humans do for work? Motherfucker, we're going to sit back and relax. Because <laughs> that's the point of it all. The point, like the, 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 the notion of this productive member of society, right? Like the, the rise of the cops, and I'll cut out this plug if you don't want plugs for like pros, but Behind the Bastards, Robert Evans did a special called Behind the Police, all about the how police became police and why they do what they do. And it was to protect business. And like itinerant, like um, bums, hobos. Why, are, why is that illegal? Why, why is that a thing? Like if you're not working for this factory, if you're not working for the fucking mining company, well, you're in a non-productive member of society and you need to get out of here. You're just a drain on the fucking people. What if they're not? What if they have a small farm and on land that they own, they make grow their own shit. They milk their own cow. They have a stream. They got everything they fucking need. They don't need your society, but that's not enough for the society because we got to make the money dollars, right? If you don't take anything from the city, you shouldn't have to pay taxes, right? I mean, there's this transactional thing in my head still. Like, we'll talk taxes some other time, Billy. But this idea that everybody must pay taxes for the common good, if you live far enough out and you don't really use roads, there's no chance in hell that you have a fire department that's going to come save you, right? Um, After that, the fuck is taxes going to do for you? Like, where's that return? Fuck it. They shouldn't have to. That's just me. Anyway, like I would be happy if I, if I did not have children and a spouse and life, right? A different me would have a van and I would be like some kind of roving, crime-solving hobo living in a van. Kind of like BJ and the bear. <laughs> <laughs> and the bear and like 
I don't know, Rockford or something. That's well, actually, you know, just to jump in on that, I was looking at something today and, 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 and there's these, there are these bloggers who have these blogs, right? And they're doing exactly what you're talking about. It's a generational thing. Like, like our generation, I mean, we're not we're close to the same age enough that our generation kind of missed out on this. But like my kid, he's, he's 17. He watches YouTube all day. And literally I'm like watching it with him. And I'm like, oh man, I fucking missed out. These guys, they got no, obviously they're being supported by their parents, right? They roll out of bed. They, they, they talk about like they're a movie they like. They edit it together and like, boom, instant distribution, right? <laughs> and, and they're making a living at it. Or other ones are like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to do a travel blog. I'm going to not have an address. I'm yep. going to do a forwarding address. I'm going to take my laptop and my van. I'm going to get free Wi-Fi. I'm going to live off of like $25 a month and camp most of the time. And it's like, why not? Why can't you? But so I think you're, I mean, I think you're, you're not wrong. Oh, I'm, I'm sure I'm wrong, but <laughs> no, but I, I think it's, 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 it's capitalism, right? I mean, the, the bottom line is what we're talking about is capitalism and capitalism is really just this idea that, that of, of wealth accumulation. And the for, only way, the only way you accumulate wealth is by having inequality. It's, yes. it's inherent in the system. So, um, so I'm going to transition to my last question. Oh dear. All right. Which is, which is, which is somewhat related, but it's, it's, uh, what are you most grateful for? I am most grateful for my children's health. My oldest children. Um, we had a lot of trials, if you will. Um, a lot of moving because of the Navy. There's a lot of moving uh, back and forth between parents because I'm divorced from the mother of two of them. My wife is divorced from the father of, of her oldest, uh, whose age falls in between my two oldest. Uh -huh. So those three in particular, due to the amount of moving, due to the fact that they're from, you know, split homes and, and also my oldest two anyway, uh, which I don't normally make that distinction except to explain um, things like this when they travel would alternate between my home and their mother's home. Um, like, I, I guess that's part of it. Um, the thing I'm grateful for is that we all kind of made it through that and they're finding their own way as adults in their own way, which is kind of equally important to me. Like I, I, I refused to pay for college. Here's an example. I, I, I refused to pay for college because I didn't want the leverage. I didn't, not that I would have said that, like I'm going to dictate what you, what major you have or whatever, but it could be perceived, right? And I didn't want that for them. I, I because I also don't believe necessarily that everybody should go to college. Um, the idea that, that there's a, a, critical skills gap. You know, the reason that we now have plumbers who make hundreds of dollars per hour for doing something that used to be a handyman job. Um, it, it's not because the job's gotten more technical. It's because there are so few people who are truly like who are trained at all. Right. 
they have they have kind of a, a monopoly on the market. There's very few of those people. Um, and, and plumber's the easy example because eventually everybody will have to interact with one. And, and don't get me wrong, I, you pay whatever they ask because you don't ask for a plumber to come out and do like easy work. They come out to do the stuff that you need done because you either need a shower or you need food or you need laundry or whatever the fuck it is, right? So I don't, I never wanted to A, force them to go to college at all um, because I believe there is much pride to be had in a trade and and whatever that trade happens to be. It could be acting, could be, um, I don't know, being a podcaster successfully, right? Um, or it could be going to, to Paul Mitchell hair salon and actually doing every day of that class for 40 odd weeks or whatever and walking out of it with a graduation certificate and going up to the county office and taking a test and getting your actual cosmetology license. Like that to me, especially that particular child who did that all by herself on her dollar, that was impressive presses the shit out of me because that was the choice that she made. That's her trade that she's going to provide. Right. And, um, it's her decision. I couldn't, I never could hold a dollar over her head. Right. And her decision to, to do that meant that she had the drive to do it. And it was on her to provide that, you know, at that, that, that's, that's the piece that's m most gratifying to me. Um, my oldest kid, Q, extremely, like from like day four or five of holding a pen, everybody knew was going to be an artist of some kind, right? Just finding the right outlet, the thing that best, the thing that, that, best harnesses the talent i don't know the word i'm looking for but the, maybe the best and fullest expression of who q, who q is there you go um you know that took a while i think for him to figure out what the medium was going to be but um he's kind of found his own little niche in the world making digital art right and and that's that to me is good that, that is as satisfying as what Megan did with Paul Mitchell. Um, you know, that, that's what I want for them. Just to be happy, however they define it. Not society's definition of happy, right? Not her parent, not their parents' definition. Any of the parents. Not me. Not the mother's not the father, you know, not, not anybody. If I asked you what makes you happy and you say X makes me happy, I would say go buy ecstasy, right? That's, that's a joke. Uh, <laughs> okay. Well, all right, good. <laughs> no, um, so, yeah. For a second, you lost me because I thought you said X like in the algebraic sense. Huh? I did. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then you turned it on me. Did. <laughs> anyway um <laughs> that was really good too man. it was good damn it 
Um, we have to. Do, I think we have to do more of like making a joke and then commenting on why the joke's funny. Oh, that's how we get dad cred. It's like, uh, if I make you laugh, I have to explain why it was funny, and then right. thereby kill it. Right. Yeah. I I, I do in fact do that often. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> it, it, they're all their own people, right? Like all of humans are all their own people, right? I happen to have five children that I am responsible for putting into this world. Well, by a lot. I, 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 I only got four. I got, I got Q. Yeah, Q, Megan, uh -huh. Jordan, Logan, and Haley. Got it. So Q's the artist. Megan's the cosmetologist who, and I, I, I'll admit this too, right now, because she took her cosmetology exam for the license, uh right after covid hit so or the first one she took before covid hit then she had to retake it and covid hit and was waiting for an exam so she's not actually practicing yet because not very many places are open and they don't have very many chairs so you know she's busting her ass right now working in in customer service like retail like fast food shit because that's what she can find yeah but that, you know, right now in this moment, what, what she did, like what she goes through as, as a non-manager paid managing kind of employee of a franchise place, um, what she goes through is impressive and she does it not because she wants the money or well, let me say this. It's not because she wants to, right? Like this is what she's decided she needs to do to get through her, her life right now, right? Putting money in the bank. And that's commendable in its own right in this moment, you know? Um, and, and Jordan's found her own way. Uh, I guess that's, that's ultimately the point, right? All five of them are finding their own way and with help when necessary, but not, not the coddling, right? Like, I'm not going to carry you through college. I'm not going to carry you through high school. Right, like, I, and I'm, I'm, I would jokingly say I'm Buddhist about things like that. Like, if it happens, it happens. I'm not gonna be mad, you know. If, like, my youngest is is extremely interested in STEM right now. Wants to be an aerospace engineer. Wants to make magic for going to Mars and beyond, or whatever it happens to be. Right, but if that doesn't pan out, okay, I'm not gonna hate her for it, you know. Like she's push trying to push through an AP calculus class right now, and the teacher's like phoning it in, literally from different places along the coast, as he has no requirement to be in the same city because digital format, right? So, how much learning can you get out of a dude on the phone? Yeah, so you know, you just carry the one and add the five, and oh, <laughs> oh uh, just email me. I'll I'll get back to you next week. Uh, that actually happened but anyway um they're they're doing their things and logan so logan graduated high school and, and had every intention of being like a poli sci major because she wants to be in the foreign service somebody she wants to okay at one point she wanted to work for the state department and then she stumbled into film studies accidentally 
no, the first, I think it was like some elective or something. So she's in film studies and she just fell in love with the idea of watching a movie for more than the entertainment. It was like the first time, like she's one of those who will sit down in front of something and just fall asleep. Like it has to have a whole lot of interest to get her past 20 minutes or so. And it was as a college freshman ish in a film studies class where she actually was watching with a purpose and, and, and it also happened to be like gangster movies, like Godfather, Goodfellas, I don't, not Casino, but something else. And, um, but watching with this intent for like deconstruction of, of scenes and, and to converse about like lighting and the, the subtle, you know, symbology of some things in backgrounds. Right. And now that's like, hooked her and she's kind of redirected her stuff because she's doing all of these film studies slash journalism adjacent courses so that she can ultimately go and apply to the CIA. I don't understand. That's what she wants to do. That makes sense. That makes perfect sense. She wants to be an analyst. So, yeah. So the, uh, the, the, the deep, the deep odds observation and analysis of, of details. So, that's it's cool. interesting, but that's if you if I think you asked me what am I what you're grateful for and yeah, uh, I'm, yeah. you know I, I'm not the I, I am I will never write a book called How to Raise Your Kid right well I think um if I could could sum it up what I would say is that each of us as parents are hoping to fuck up our children less than our parents fucked us up yeah. That that would be that would be the goal, and if it's just a margin marginal improvement, <laughs> and you've been a success. Yeah, um, I was <laughs> I was going to say like I'll never write a book called How to Raise Your Kid, but I could probably write a book How Not to Raise Your Kid, and here are some specific examples of things not to do. <laughs> Um, (laughs) yeah but uh you know it gets it's like you know that i think that there's this transition you go through in life where you where you stop thinking about the ways in which your parents screwed up and then you really start focusing on the ways that you screwed up yeah and like and like i'm like oh man everything happens i'm like oh man i'm blowing this i'm blowing it i'm blowing it yeah, I used to, uh, and I, you know, we were all on a journey, right? Like, no matter how old you are, you're, you should still be learning something. I, I be it like, a, be it a guided lesson, like in a class or whatever, or just in the classroom of life, right? We, we should always be learning, trying to grow. And, you know, I, I didn't give a lot of credence to a lot of ideas until I had kids and until I had kids old enough to hear and think and repeat words. Um, and, you know, you, you give even more things credence and, and give a, more consideration to ideas when they are your children's ideas and your children's beliefs. You know? um, but I, I really like... I, to a fault, probably, I wanted them to be, I want them, I want for them desperately to be their own person, to be happy in their own skin, 
to be happy, to, to, to meet ultimate happiness, whatever their definition is, and to be able to enjoy life every day, right? Like, I, don't, I, I would never want them to wake up and, and have weeks like I've had where I couldn't understand, you know, it was that the existential thing where you borderline, you know, question your existence on the planet, right? Like, why am I bothering? What am I doing with myself? Why, you know, why another day, right? I would hate for them to experience that. So, so yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't know if we can protect our kids against that because that's the other half of the human condition. It is. But uh, Jeff, where, where, uh, what's coming next from you? The easiest way you can find whatever it is I'm doing is to follow me on Twitter at verboten PM and to search me at Podchaser. Um, you can, you'll find my name in the notes. It'll be written in there. There'll be some links. You can find me because I'm going to make these notes for Billy's episode, <laughs> but I'm going to edit. Um, but to answer your question, most um, literally what's next is recording a Forza Crowd episode. The next episode, like we record on the week that it releases, but we're recording the next episode. Forza Crowd? Yeah, Forza Crowd is a fantastic sitcom um, about four 30-somethings who share an apartment in Central Florida, basically, and try to make it through life. It, it has, like, it has its roots in, like, Golden Girls and... Three's Company. Three, there, you know, if anything, it is Three's Company and a little bit of Golden Girls. That, that's really... There's some there's some commonalities between Three's a Crowd and, or Three's Company and Four's a Crowd, but um, that's a crossover show that needed to get made, actually. <laughs> uh, uh, let's see. Anyway, so quite literally, uh, what's next for me is recording an episode of Four's a Crowd. Then the next episode will release a special edition of For the Trees, in which I talk to two really awesome cats from geek exploration about their upcoming uh, comic that they're releasing and uh, some continued editing on coyotes bluff because that motherfucker's coming out January 4th come hell or high water. So awesome. And then of course this. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you very much for, for joining me on this uh, stage two of this podcasting journey i'm not sure why i want to do it but i really enjoy it and uh i really enjoyed this conversation um and I, we covered a lot of ground we learned a few things yeah. we laughed a few times yeah uh, and we we got real all right and we're gonna roll credits laying down the law is a product of beyond unreasonable doubt produced by verboten productions for a dollar amount that has yet to be determined Produced by Jeffrey Feitner. Music is Galactic Damages by Jingle Punk. And cover art, courtesy of Q.